Hello, everyone. My name is Dr. Veronica Hardy, and thank you for joining me here today. As you know, I like to have conversations with amazing people, often related to the human experience, whether it's becoming untangled from things that seem to have us bound, or if it's just a person being able to share their story and that story helping you to navigate through your own life experiences. So today I have another incredible guest by the name of Dr. Tawanda Hubbard. Um, she is a faculty member at the renowned Rutgers University School of Social Work. So I'm glad to have a fellow social worker here and educator as well. So what I'm gonna do right now, I'm gonna turn it over to Dr. Hubbard, who's gonna share more about herself, just introducing herself to you and even sharing something unique or fun about her life. <laughs> Again, thank you so much for joining me today, Dr. Hubbard. Dr. Hardy, thank you so much. It is a pleasure to be a part of your podcast, to just have a conversation with you about things that matter, right? Things that matter to us, to our lives, to our community. And so um, it is a thrill. I'm excited. I was looking forward to this conversation. Um, now, a little bit about me. So, um, yes, my name is Dr. Tawanda Hubbard. Currently, I have a doctorate in clinical social work practice, so it's a DSW. I am pursuing my second doctorate, which is a PhD in family science and human development. I wanted to do that deep dive again. When I tell so many of my colleagues that I'm doing a second doctorate, I get wide eyes. <laughs> And like you're doing that again and it's like yes i am a lifelong learner and i also wanted to um <clears throat> deepen my knowledge and um expand my skill set to really be able to contribute in meaningful ways um to knowledge producing knowledge disseminating knowledge and knowledge that is meaningful and impactful um in regards to impacting policy development, um, influencing policy, and also um, intervention research, looking to really help professionals and practitioners. Um, I am also, like Dr. Hardy said, I'm an educator. And so um, I pretty much teach clinical practice courses in the School of Social Work at Rutgers University. Um, in addition, I am a practitioner. And so I also do therapy, predominantly family therapy, but in addition to that, I am a certified child sexual abuse therapist, a trained family therapist, um, certified REBT therapist. I'm also trained in a couple of different trauma um, approaches, EMDR, trauma-focused CBT. So I like to... Um, I like to, to really know what I'm doing when I'm working with families and individuals. I do some couples work too, because to me, therapy is a sacred space. And so you don't want to just go in there messing with folks. I want to use empirically supported interventions and ideas and strategies, but also recognize that my practitioner wisdom um, is also important in my clinical judgment because not everybody is equally represented in the research, right? And so, um, <clears throat> so that's a little bit about me. I, I'm a former um, president of NASW New Jersey. Um, and so I have some advocacy work, some leadership work and social work that I do. Um, and then also me 
me kind of spreading my wings in this family science and human development field, which connects so well to social work. Um, I was asked, why did you not get a PhD in social work? I'm like, because I honor my DSW. It is a practitioner's doctorate and I am a practitioner at heart. And and also too, um, because of so much work with families, family scientists and human development just really resonated with me in a powerful way and so I'm very thankful for the program I'm attending the program at Mount Clare State University it's a very good program so I am thankful for this opportunity there mm-hmm. I think that's about it I can go on and on but I think that's the gist people would get a good idea yes, <laughs> of, and, and of who's talking you. to them Yes, I thank you for everything that you have shared. You have such a vast, a strong background and foundation that I think people are going to hear really come out as we engage in this discussion today. Very good. I think our topic is very interesting, something that may not be discussed too often, if Mm -hmm. at all. Mm -hmm. The topic has to do with resilience and exhaustion. So this this is very unique. So I'm excited for for our audience to be able to to listen to this today. So my first question for you is, what drew you to this topic about resilience and exhaustion? Yes. So, you know, um, we've been struggling with for some time COVID-19 and then also to um, struggling with, you know, long standing, really entrenched systemic um, racial discrimination, right? And just struggling for equity and inclusion, um, people of color, specifically, you know, Black Americans. And when I say Black Americans, I don't mean to reference a monolithic group, there's diversity, right? Um, And so, I answered the call like so many of my colleagues did and getting into this conversation around what's happening and supporting communities as well as my fellow social workers and other mental health practitioners and kind of processing, you know, what's happening in our social climate and environment and how is it impacting us as professional helpers and also to making ourselves available to process with the community at large of what they are bearing witness to, um, the impact emotionally, psychologically on them, right? And, you know, it's not easy when you see these videos and, um, you know, hear the stories and watching the court hearings and um, there's vicarious trauma. There's just a toll that it takes. And also too, you know, I am a black woman and when you see, you know, George Floyd, Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, and so many others, right? That can be your sister. That can be your mother, your father, your brother, your son, right? That can be you. Right. And so um, that, that weighs on us. And, you know, um, there are a lot of stereotypes out there about the Black community. A lot of them are negative. One of them that is positive is our strength, right? And so um, that we are very resilient. And, you know, and rightfully so, (laughs) and well-deserved, right? Rightfully so. Um, And one of my community conversations I was having 
there was a, a woman who said, um, I am tired yes. of being resilient. She was like, I need a break from resiliency. And that really struck a chord with me yes. because I didn't think about being tired from mm -hmm. being resilient mm -hmm. because I think it is um, something in our culture that gets passed down to us that we're just going to push through yeah. and we're going to survive, right? And we are going to kind of lift ourselves up and we're going to keep moving forward, moving onward, right? And with each generation, we're looking for greater progress, right? Mm -hmm. Greater access and betterment, right? Greater health equity, right? Overall, mm -hmm. our well-being. And so hearing that, you know, I'm tired of being resilient. You know, I was like, oh, there's a flip side to this, mm -hmm. right? I got very interested and very curious. Can you tell me more? Mm -hmm. And she was like, I don't really know how to articulate this. She was like, I don't know how to, it just, I just don't want it. And it led me to, you know, engage in conversations with others. And with me, I'm always going to the literature to see yeah. what's being said, you know, who's saying what. And I, I did find a few articles where, you know, there was this, ah, this other side to mm -hmm. resilience where, you know, um, it's not necessarily a positive. Mm -hmm. And, um, <clears throat> and so I got very curious about it. And I did, um, have a couple of conversations and talks where it was like, let's talk about resiliency and like, what does resiliency mean? Because, you know, we need to create some space to allow folks who have, who struggle with this to figure out how to give themselves the self-care that they need. And, you know, and what I really dove into and, and tried to kind of flesh out is that when you look at other groups of people in America, mm -hmm. right, not everybody has to be as resilient as Black folks do. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, we, you know, and, and I'm going to, you know, um, go into a little bit of diversity here. When you speak specifically about African-Americans, right, there is the history and the connection to our ancestors who were brought over from West Africa and the enslavement and, and just the, the, the struggle the dehumanization, the brutality, the right. violence, right, that we've had to like push through the discrimination, the inequality, right, that we had to deal with and still deal with. You know, we have made progress, but there is so much more that yeah. we still need to do, right? And <clears throat> when I think about this, and also, too, if you identify as Black Caribbean or Black African from Nigeria, Ghana, mm -hmm. or anywhere, or Afro-Latino, just mm -hmm. because you have, you identify with some degree of Blackness, you're still going to feel that discrimination here in America, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Even if you don't have direct lineage to the African-Americans who were enslaved, mm -hmm. right? So mm -hmm. we still feel it. Mm -hmm. We still feel it in, in some way. And, you know, I wanted to, you know, talk about directly to the Black community and to all those who support and have allyship with the Black community. Let's talk about 
resilience. Let's talk about how there are some positive aspects to resilience, but also too, not everybody has to be as resilient as black folks. Mm -hmm. And there needs to be certain spaces created for them to not have to be resilient, that they can just be right Mm -hmm. they don't have to push forward they don't have to put the face on put the mask on you know we have to deal with the strong black woman the superwoman Mm -hmm. right we have to deal with the male who has to be like you know brave strong you know the protector and so you know these roles that sometimes um can suffocate the person occupying the role so true right and we get exhausted and that and and you know another way to talk about is it weathers us Mm -hmm. and you might not even be attuned to how it's weathering you and pulling you down but when we go into the research and look at health outcomes right you know and when we look at how black folks tend to have a lot of high blood pressure and diabetes and heart attacks and Mm -hmm. you know these things that we tend to struggle with and you know there's been a campaign for some years now for you know it's still kind of fresh kind Mm -hmm. of new but mental health really factoring in our mental health and and the need for our wellness and and you know um women you know I think across many cultures get socialized to be caregivers of relationships in the family and the community and so what that means is we might not always prioritize ourselves correct right and so there's exhaustion there because we got to hold it down you know what's that we got to be ride or die but we don't know how to be ride or die for ourselves right and so we just need to be resilient and and so we need to really unpack it and and complicate the conversation is the message that i sent to people let's complicate resilience let's not always think about it as bouncing back right let's not always think about just kind of pick yourself up and keep moving forward let's Mm. complicate it and let's talk about yeah there's a strength but there's also an exhaustion Mm. there's also you can get tired of being resilient it can weather you right Mm -hmm. it could be an Mm -hmm. emotional and psychological toll a burden that you carry right Mm. so let's complicate the discussion that we have about resilience Mm. let's not be let's not oversimplify it correct Mm. And I'm so thankful that you said that because oftentimes people view resilience like that phrase you mentioned, just bouncing back. But to bounce back, there is a whole process that comes before that. Um, So what I want to do, we have used that word resilience. Mm -hmm. How would you define it for, for our audience today? Well, you know, when you go into the literature um, and we're looking at resilience, right? So resiliency, um, the word has Latin origins, right? Um, And when you think about it, um, it didn't really show up in the English language until around the early 1600s. And the definition originally um, was the action or the act of rebounding or springing back to rebound, recoil. And this comes from, you know, Francis Bacon's work, right? And so, um, and, and, and the way we talk about resilience now is, is pretty close to that. 
right? Mm-hmm. That kind of bouncing back. But there's a second definition for it too that's associated to resilience that kind of emerged in like um, the the mid to the early 1800s, which speaks about the elasticity of resiliency, the power of resuming an original shape mm. or position after compression or bending, right? And then if you go on, right? There's a third definition, which we don't really use um, resiliency in this way, but it speaks to um, the action of going back upon one's word. Mm. right but we don't use resiliency like that we tend to and then also too there's another way that they talked about like the act of revolting or recalling from something something Mm. repugnant um but we tend to stick with um you know using resilience like the quality or the fact to be able to recover quickly or easily Mm. or um, resistance from being affected by and we Mm. can talk about that for days resistance to being affected by a misfortune a shocked or illness so it speaks to having some adapt adaptability to oneself right which you know resiliency um can be looked at as a skill which in some literature it is is mm-hmm. that as it's, it's a characteristic that we have but also to remember it's associated to you know going through something adverse right Right. And and being able to kind of, you know, make your way through it, that journey through it and kind of recover and be able to maintain. But that other element, resisting being affected. Mm. (laughs) Right. And and I'm giggling around that because there are some people, you know, they just will refuse to say that this is impacting me negatively. Mm. Right. They have to be strong all the time. They have to be on all the time. And that's tiresome very Mm -hmm. exhausting right and so when we think about resilience um and another thing i want to know there are so many different disciplines that talk about resiliency Mm -hmm. so there are multiple meanings out there when you talk about resiliency and so that's so important to understand and i just i just flipped it and said resiliency Mm -hmm. so you know resiliency is a variant of resilience Mm -hmm. um it's it, it it means the same thing though so you don't even really have to use the variant but Mm -hmm. some people do kind of switch it up a little bit so in the united states we do utilize resiliency as well as resilient resilient excuse me Mm -hmm. so with resiliency often it's um explained as a process a personal journey through something disruptive and Mm -hmm. also the reintegration So it kind of demonstrates this incremental process of a series of choices that kind of can lead you to kind of optimum health, where with resilience, it's a progressive force that some try to say is within us. Mm-hmm. And it drives us to that maximize, to maximize and to embrace our full potential. So when you really think about this word, think about a system of adapting successfully. Mm. Mm-hmm. A system for adapting successfully. Yeah, yeah. And so I, I really do like that. Um, now, I will tell you, you know, um, like I said, there's connections to like trauma and people going through adverse things and also mm-hmm. talking about resilience connected as this kind of innate possibly um, skill um, trait that people have. But then also, too. I would say people learn to be resilient based on the environment and what they go through. 
Exactly. So for some people it might not be any, it's what you've learned from your environment. You've had to adapt to survive, to overcome, mm -hmm. right? And so, you know, that's why when we talk about resilience, we should not talk about it in a reductionist manner. Right. <laughs> right. It's it's, right. it's it's complicated. And so it's, it's more than that. And so when we think about resilience, we should be thinking about it from different positions. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and, and bringing it into context. Right. Um, I think it's very important because someone talking about resilience can be, mean something very different from what another person understands resilience to be. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. And so we really need to kind of flesh out the meaning so we could be on the same page with it. But I do like the idea that it's a system of adaptation. Yeah. Right. And, and, you know, and there's so much nuance that's kind of buried in there. Mm -hmm. And when you think about, um, there's this concept too called resilience factors. Okay. Right. Okay. So when you talk about resilience factors, um, another way to say it, the protective factors mm -hmm. that can be in the individual as well as in your environment, you know. So um, I know we tend to, especially um, Western thought, right? We really go to privilege the idea of the individual, mm -hmm. but we're really interdependent creatures. Correct. And so recognizing the strengths and, and the and the talents in oneself, as well as in our community and um, our environment is so important. So those internal factors, um, you know, you can think about self-efficacy, the ability mm -hmm. to adapt, active coping skills, mm -hmm. having mm -hmm. positive emotions, mm -hmm. right? And what we call those hardiness skills, right? Emotional intelligence, um, problem solving. But then we also need external supports, Right. Um, spiritual, possibly religious coping, um, also to um, cognitive coping. But we we do when we get um, emotionally hijacked, we kind of disconnect from our prefrontal cortex. We yeah. need to borrow somebody else's prefrontal yes. cortex. <laughs> right. Those are our go to people that we go to. So when we can't like figure it out, they can help us figure it out. And so um, so again, we need internal and external kind of resilience factors that can help bring us along right mm -hmm. yes Makes and thinking sense. of how those absolutely mm -hmm. and, and thinking of how those resilience factors again they help us to keep moving forward again that, that system that process yes. that you were just speaking about yes yes they do they really do and that's why you know I don't say we don't need to be resilient mm -hmm. But we need to recognize being resilient all the time and we don't allow ourselves time to kind of take it down, slow it down, occupy spaces where you do not have to be on. Right. You don't have to be resilient. We need that. Right. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that's so important. And I think that's important for everyone across all different cultures and groups. They need that. Mm -hmm. Very, very important to do. Um, also, too, when you think about resiliency, um, we can problematize it. Right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so when we go to problematize it, we can think about how some people sometimes want to focus on resiliency just as an, an, in, um, an innate or internal kind of trait or factor and right. detach it from the context of trauma. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. We don't want to do that. Right. We don't want to just um, have it um, 
constructed as a social norm, a skill or competency. We really do need to acknowledge that people go through things, that they need to adapt and be resilient. Mm. Um, And so that's important for us to think about. And in the literature, when I saw the other side of resiliency, that it's not just a strength, you know, um, I was looking at um, Dr. Larry Davis' work and um, also to Ashley Nicole um, Prowell's work. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, when I was looking at their work and um, some of their ideas, I was like, oh, I could see this, right? Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. because they were making the case, especially Dr. Davis, where he Mm kind of asked the question, he said, are we spending too much time? too much of our energies, caring and applauding the abilities of individuals, families, and groups to successfully sustain societal abuse, hardship, and injustice. Mm. It's like, ooh, that's a good one. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Right? Right. And that made me really think about it because we in social work really value strength-based perspective. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. And so we want to strengthen individuals, families, and communities. But this is why clinicians and practitioners have got to care about the policy and the macro side too. Exactly. Because are are we being one-sided in our interventions when we focus on just trying to strengthen them and really shoring up their resiliency and, mm-hmm. and helping them with skill when recognizing it's an environment that they're in, that they ha- are being made to be resilient. Um, I just think that we have to recognize that some people are made just to be, have to be a little bit more resilient. And so what does that mean? those people have to be a little bit more resilient. What what are they having to be resilient against, right? And that's looking at the environment. And that's looking at injustices, inequities, lack of access, lack of opportunities, right? Those social determinants of health. And also really looking at health equity and health injustices because we are not afforded the same pathways that other groups are afforded to have wealth health right Mm -hmm. and well-being overall Mm -hmm. and so that's so important for us to understand this and to recognize when we are the professional helpers right social workers we have to think about you know are are we being agents of who there we go. Mm-hmm. Right? Agents of social change, agents of social control. Who mm-hmm. are you an agent of? Mm-hmm. Right? When you are helping to intervene and support this family, right? Because they have to maintain this resiliency because of the environment, mm-hmm. because of the conditions they were born into. Mm-hmm. Right? And this is why we can't just speak one way about what resiliency is about. Exactly. Exactly. Gosh. And and I feel like our our audience is gaining so much from what you're saying right now, hopefully introducing some new thoughts, new ways of thinking Mm -hmm. and new ways of seeing and interpreting other people's experiences. And even that whole idea of resiliency and what that means, because like you said, it varies based on the individual, the family and recognizing that societal impact. Um, it, it makes me think I've been working on a presentation and, and I always appreciate the conversations we have too. And it's called uh, Grieving Freedom, The Legacy of Race-Based Trauma. 
Ooh, I like and kind of still in this this place of constant grief, grief for something that you have never had, grieving it, freedom. Yes. Like you said, the freedom to have health equity, yeah. the freedom to build wealth and yeah. not having full and total access to that like other populations may have. Yeah. So, as always, I appreciate what you are saying and what you are sharing with our audience. Yes. Um, earlier as you were introducing yourself, I mean, you, you have so many valuable, I guess, aspects, sources of knowledge and experiences of growth that you have transitioned through. And you mentioned that, that one of your areas of focus is being a practitioner. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. with that, if someone was experiencing that, that exhaustion, that exhaustion from from being resilient on this constant basis mm-hmm. kind of what what would you say or what insights have you gained in relation to say the, the coping or responding to that yes yes that's a really good question um so in the work that i do with individuals and families it's so important um again as i mentioned earlier um being an interdependent creature Right. Right. Um, I believe that we are born into relationships. We live, move, survive. We get hurt. We recover. We heal in relationships. Mm -hmm. So how we navigate relationships, who we are in relationships, how do you balance your your person, yourself in relationships? Right. I think it's so important to be able to understand. Right. Because often. in our society, what's privilege is this either or thinking versus and and both. Mm -hmm. Also too, we kind of get socialized into thinking that there's only one truth, one right answer, right? Um, And so that creates a lot of tension and conflict versus understanding that two opposing thoughts can both be true. And we can have multiple perspectives. There is this quote that I love that um, I only discovered it like a few years ago, but the author is anonymous, but it speaks to this idea of my perspective is only one of many in the world. Mm. right Mm -hmm. so you know if you just sit in that for a minute my perspective is only one of many in the world I am not the standard for everyone right and others are not the standard for me Mm -hmm. right there's some some liberty liberty in that right? right I think and then if you and if you pair that with you know there's me and this other that are in this relational space together how do I make room for both of us because also in our society you know there's a lot of negative messages about the self about being self-centered self-focused right I do think there are differences between self being self-absorbed right I think like self-absorbed but but I think there's a need for for self-focus and but self-focus doesn't mean you don't have the other focus Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right being self-centered being kind of grounded doesn't mean that you're limited to that seeing others right um and so I talk about this with individuals and families and I talk about there needs to be a balance because what I find often is people are living in this either or kind of 
spear versus mm-hmm. Anne and both. Mm-hmm. And also to um, th- people don't prioritize themselves enough or they don't even factor themselves into their life. Just imagine your day and you go through your day. Have you made time for you in your day or have you given all your time away to others, right? And so when it comes down the end of the day, you are spent, right? (laughs) Because you have not factored any time in for you. And then we also, um, how we do our time, you know, um, we're up in the morning and you jump out of bed, you jump on the hamster wheel you weren't even able to ease into your day you weren't even able to kind of center yourself center your focus you know um before jumping out of the bed you know um did you get to tune into even where's your body at when you wake up this morning you know it might not be in the same space that it was in you might not have slept well right and so these are things that you know trying to get people to kind of tune into themselves get Mm -hmm. attuned right because I think we get socialized to be other focused Mm -hmm. and you know um and that that can become problematic because you're not picking up on the signals from your body signals from your emotion from your mind from your spirit Mm -hmm. right and just you know what do you need today to help you move through the day and because if you think about it when you just pushing through right oh my goodness you have this focus you have this drive Mm -hmm. and you maybe aren't picking up you need a break right you might not be picking up that your body is starting not to feel well right and then some people sometimes they get that break when you're sick Mm -hmm. that's right because your body done crashed on you and so it's really having these ideas but individualizing them listening to people tell me their stories and how are you moving through your life how are you moving through your relationships Mm. how are you navigating the world right because um going back to that one idea of 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 kind of um that idea that i spoke about in the definition of resilience right and we talk about kind of even trying to kind of resist the idea that we even need (laughs) how what's a good way to say it it's like um so you think about it like i don't even need to stop i'm good i'm not going to admit that anything's wrong because there's nothing wrong Mm. right you know and so you got to be on and and almost like perfection and it's a weakness to admit that you are just human and humans get tired yes we do right Mm -hmm. and and so to me you know i also bring in humanization because Mm. i think that um we dehumanize ourselves and dehumanize one another and what i mean by that we don't extend qualities to one another um that are just a part of being human because perfection doesn't exist right and we get tired we're not infinite beings you know and so we need breaks we need wellness checks we need to slow down sometimes as well as we need to pick it up and go into overdrive but Mm -hmm. we need to be balanced with this and i don't think we always extend those things to ourselves because we get messages around being weak is um you know 
shameful. Right. Um, and sometimes you need to not admit if you don't have a skill or a competency mm-hmm. or, you know, but that's all a part of being human. Exactly. And it's all a part of, we all experience this. Mm-hmm. And, um, and also too, I bring into the conversation self-compassion. Mm-hmm. Yes. Right? Yes, yes, yes. How do you just be gentle to yourself and kind to yourself? There's a lot of people who have a harsh inner critic. And so, you know, how do you know you gotta learn to be your own friend and ally first? Mm-hmm. Right. And you know, there are things that sometimes I think we outwardly look to others to give us that you need to give to yourself. Right. Right. And they can compliment and add. But, you know, some people are on empty and really struggling because you haven't cultivated that relationship with yourself that you need. Because I don't think we talk about that. That's true. Right. We don't we don't nourish that and we don't cultivate that. And so as a practitioner and also I would say I do this also as an educator with Mm -hmm. my students. Mm -hmm. Right. Because, you know, how we tend to at the end of the course is Mm -hmm. on the syllabus to talk about self-care at the end. It's like the last class. Right. So even though that might be the last class, I go to mention that in the very beginning and I weave it throughout Right. So when they talk to me about their field experiences Mm -hmm. and what's going on in internships and, you know, how are you balancing that? You know, Mm -hmm. how are you negotiating that spring break? Because I'll hear them say to me that they kind of do their hours also during spring break and they try to get hours doing in between the semesters. And I'm Mm -hmm. like, but I don't hear a break. Right. I don't, I don't hear right. a break. Where are you giving yourself time to just rest? And then I've talked to um, during this whole COVID-19 pandemic, I found myself thinking about this more mm-hmm. and talking to my students as well as clients, mm-hmm. um, persons and client status, I like to say, right. um, you know, I talked to them about, you know, this idea of are you enjoying guilt free relaxation? And, um, you know, and, and some, I get these facial expressions. I'm like, so you're like, what is that? What are you talking about, Dr. Hubbard? Like, that doesn't exist. You can't have guilt-free relaxation. And, and I go to talk to them about that where, you know, you, you could be on your couch, feet up, and you really are not relaxing because playing in your head are all the things you think you should be doing right now. Exactly. And so that was not a restful period of time. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so I talked to them about, do you have do nothing mornings or do nothing mm-hmm. time? Do you give yourself permission? And I dare to say the word to be lazy on a Sunday morning. Yes. Right. Can you can you be that way sometimes and don't do anything for a minute mm-hmm. and then shift gears into to later on going back to work or doing something that you need to do but how do you slow it down how do you do nothing sometimes right because I hear often when I go on vacation I'm like "Mm -mm, this must be an everyday daily practice of learning how to give yourself some periods of taking it down maybe relaxing in the nighttime before you transition to bed like what is your practice there Mm -hmm. of how you take care of yourself and so um you know as a practitioner this is kind of what I offer and also as an educator you know bring into my students because I just think it's so important that we do this because 
not everybody in our lives will give us permission yes so true to, to relax and mm. so if we wait on them we will never relax exactly <laughs> and, and i'm so glad you introduced those concepts of self-care self-compassion guilt-free uh breaks and just that time too and and i'm thankful you also brought up about our students as well especially during this period of of the pandemic since it began a couple of years ago Mm -hmm. and think of all the pressures that they have been under too and still being able to pursue and accomplish their education and and thank you for including that as part of your classes too at the beginning yeah um, for them to be able to hear it from someone who's already out there in the field how important this is and for you training them and teaching them and showing them what that actually looks like yes yeah Mm -hmm. and i'm not and i'm not always the best at it and i have to remind myself and i tell Mm -hmm. them that you will have to remind yourself to kind of slow down Mm -hmm. i said because we are so focused in our work on supporting others Mm -hmm. don't forget yourself exactly right you you need to include yourself in your life and Mm -hmm. I get people sometimes that you can tell it's a computer glitch because they're hit and I'm like let me say that again how do you include yourself Mm -hmm. in your own life exactly right that Mm -hmm. you are not on autopilot here you need to be intentional and mindful about including yourself because you are worth it you matter Yes, that is so true. And again, I believe everything you have said has been valuable today about resiliency, exhaustion. There are strong and strengths related aspects to it. And then there are these other aspects that we need to address and focus on um, in that process, too, of when we go through challenging experiences. Uh, Other concepts that you brought up, you mentioned resiliency factors, also known as protective factors Mm -hmm. that we may draw on Mm -hmm. when we do feel a little pressed down or overwhelmed or weighed down in various Mm -hmm. ways. And again, those important points of that self-compassion, that self-care, guilt-free relaxation. I really want everyone to be able to hear that today. So so I want to ask you this next question of, we're starting to draw to a close, but just a couple more questions about what are some, say, closing thoughts or words that you really want our audience to take away from, say, everything that was discussed today? Yeah. um, So a couple of things. One is um, balance. Mm -hmm. I think that we need to kind of make this idea of balance um, very um, important and central in our lives and so are you moving through this interaction are you approaching something with balance in mind because to me um, when we are off balance there is more exhaustion and you might have to pull more on your resilience right Um, to give yourself permission to be human right? Um, To extend to yourself, right? To be able to take it down. And that, you know, um, some days we're at 100, some days we're at 70, some days we're at 60. I tell people, check in with the people you are interacting with, because you can be really giving yourself a hard time because you were only at 70, but they got everything they needed to get from you. Yes. They got everything they needed to get from you, even though you were not at 
your expectation of being at 100, right? right? So be mindful, check in with yourself. And then also too, you know, in this work that we do, keep in mind that um, when you are working with families and individuals and communities, we do want to strengthen and support their resiliency. But we also want to look at this other side of it because there is system work that needs to be done. Mm -hmm. And I think people need more education and knowledge to really understand what they're dealing with, Mm -hmm. right? Because there is so much messaging around how um, things are someone's fault. We are our own problem. And there are problems we're dealing with. We did not create those problems. Right. Right. They are systemic problems. Mm-hmm. And and if we overly focus on self, we're missing it. And we're constantly, to me, going in this hamster wheel when the real intervention needs to be with the system. Right. Right. So it's important to have a balance to talk about, you know, individuals, families, communities and the systems, contexts and environments we live Mm -hmm. in, the social historical contexts we live in. People need to understand the problems they're dealing with are long entrenched sometimes. It's not a new thing. Yes. And when we don't talk about history and we want to burn books and not let certain books and curriculums in, that's a problem. Right. So we need to know how to advocate along with the individuals and families and communities we serve Mm -hmm. and then one of the last things i want to say that i think is important and i've been saying this often i encourage everybody to join me in being a good ancestor Mm -hmm. right because we have inherited this society with its its joys its greatness its its darkness its pain right and you know as the current adult cohort, we really need to think about what are we going to do to make a difference that the future generations that we will not even meet will have a different society than the one that we inherited. Because I got to tell you, I have so much gratitude for my ancestors and the allies that walked along with them, you know, and fought along with them, struggled, even lost their lives with them, right? That I can be here today. Dr. Hardy can be here today because if not for them, mercy 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 right and so we need to think about us being good ancestors and what are we doing with the power we have the influence we have the positions we have the roles we have the knowledge we have the skills to be able to try to bring about lasting change and equity moving us forward right greater justice and equity for all so that future generation won't have to be dealing and toiling with what we are dealing with. Exactly. So they won't have to be as resilient. Mm. Thank you so much for this. And, and I'm without a doubt sure that people would like to hear more from you, learn more about you. Um, I know you're on LinkedIn, have a yes. website. That's would you a good like place. to share about that so people <laughs> can kind of reach out yes. and, and, and access more of your work? Yes, yes, yes. So um, definitely LinkedIn's a really good place to go to because that's where I will post um, where I'm going to speak or if I'm um, 
going to be publishing or anything coming their way, you know, um, it'll be LinkedIn is my go-to space to do that. Um, also to, um, I do have a, a website, but that website that I have currently is housing my um, doctoral work I did in my DSW program, which is very good work. I really looked um, it's my scholarship around oppositionality and adolescence. Okay. And so looking at how um, I wanted to kind of push up against the DSM, not all opposition is um, pathology. Is right. not all children who are opposing has oppositional defiant disorder. Exactly. I go to um, reframe it and challenge the narrative around how they need some degrees of opposition to come into their own. Right. And, you know, when you think about um, like groups March for Our Lives, adolescents speaking up and, you know, they need to have a voice. We need to allow them to have a voice. We need to allow them to be strong. And so I have some really good resources and ideas there, especially with folks working with um, children who adolescent. <laughs> I yeah. love my adolescents, right? Yeah. It's so very, very important. Um, and then in my um, family science and human development program, my PhD, I have some good things coming, coming out soon, awesome. right? So, you know, um, and so just look out for that. I'm going to, um, I'm working Working on, you know, personhood and its relationship within empowerment and specifically looking at Black girls, Black young women who mm -hmm. are transitioning into adulthood, aging out of the child welfare system. And so, you know, um, a much needed area to look closely at because those statistics are very troubling, right? And so wanting to be able to help them be as successful as they can. And so really diving into that area to study closely. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much. So I know, like you said, one of the key places is LinkedIn. So yes. if you want to hear more from Dr. Hubbard, yes. whether she has presentations coming, publications, tune into her on LinkedIn. Yes. Dr. Hubbard, it's always a joy and such an insightful experience. Anytime I have a chance to uh, speak to you and just gain your insights on such powerful topics like today about that exhaustion and that resiliency. Mm -hmm. So I just want to give you a thank you again for just taking time out um, to you. speak with me and to just share, share with our audience today. Thank you. It's an honor always. Equally, I feel the same. We have very fruitful conversations, yes. right? <laughs> iron sharpens iron, right? Like mine, right? right. That's right. And to all of our audience, our listeners, our viewers, thank you again and take care. Bye-bye, everyone. <laughs>